Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Revelation revealed. We are in chapter 12. We're going to take a little chunk here, and then the Lord willing, we'll finish chapter 12 next week. The theme today is Satan tossed from heaven, tossed out on his ear. Satan is gone. In the book of Revelation, as in the rest of the Bible, we see Satan at work. His dastardly deeds are so evident. He is called the devil, the serpent, the dragon, the beast. No matter what his name is, he is wreaking havoc wherever he goes. You ever been around some people that, frankly, wherever they go, they spoil it? <laughs> it doesn't make any difference at work, at home. It could be at a sports team. I mean, the church, regardless, they just seem to just pollute wherever they are. Well, that's the devil. That's Satan working in that person. That's what he does. But there's nothing better than Jesus, isn't there? That's a good song. Nothing better than Jesus. You can have this old stinking world. I'll tell you right now. Just go ahead and take it. You want it? Go for it. I'll tell you nothing's better than Jesus. Go ahead. Follow the devil and see how good that'll make your marriage. Just go ahead. No. You want Jesus. You want the Word of God. And you want to be faithful to God. And that's what this passage is about. Now, it might surprise you, however, to know that while he does his dirty deeds on earth, he actually spends the vast majority of his time, we're speaking of Satan now, he spends the vast majority of his time in heaven. In fact, he always has. Did you know that the devil is not in hell right now? And did you know that he's never been there? And... In fact, he has no plans on going there, although he's going there. And when he does go there, he's not going to be the king. In fact, he's going to be the lowest one on the totem pole when he gets to hell. Hell is a terrible place, but that's where he's going. But actually, right now, do you know who he spends most of his time with? Surprisingly, the devil spends most of his time with God the Father. Satan is, as we were told in Scripture, we saw it many times as we've gone through different passages. But last week, you recall, we went through the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. He was the anointed cherub, exalted above all other angels. But today, we are told that he is in heaven, day and night, 24-7, accusing God's people. His plan is to overthrow everything that God does and to overrun God's people. Now, you may wake up tomorrow morning and just think it's another Monday, but I promise you the devil does not, and the demons he has assigned to you do not. They are about to trip you up every moment 
That's why Paul said, you better get your armor on because while you forget that he's real, I promise you he doesn't. He is absolutely out to sink you and I and to sink this church and to anything that is righteous. But thank God, ultimately, we are going to see, and that's what we see today in this passage, he is going to be thrown out of heaven. He will never have access again. He ultimately then will be thrown into the lake of fire. But for a brief amount of time, about three and a half years or so, he is going to be on this earth with all of his demonic horde in their ugliness and in their sin. You would think, how in the world is anybody going to be able to make it? Well, that is exactly what I would imagine. But in this passage, God said, Good news, I will give you three things you can do, guaranteed victory during that time. This is one of the most important passages in all the Scripture for us reminding ourselves of the end of this matter. The devil is very real. A Sunday school teacher asked a little boy, Tommy, do you believe in the devil? No, sir, came the reply. I think he's just like Santa Claus. I believe he's my daddy. <laughs> well, no, the devil is not your daddy, nor your mama, or your wife or your husband, for that matter, for those of you that are thinking that. But, no, you wouldn't think that, would you? But I will tell you, though, the devil is not any person on this earth, he is very real. And so this is a very important passage as we remember how to defeat our stated enemy. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for this blessed word. I pray that you'll help us. Thank you for the blessed songs this morning, Lord, the prayers that I felt uh, and heard going up to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you will just... Uh, Collect our minds and, Lord, give us uh, the tools to beat the devil. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 12, please. Now, the devil and his demons, whom they rule over the kingdom of this earth, they are waging an incessant war. We must not be shamed or shaken from the fact that we are in a satanic warfare. We are in a warfare against evil. They are fighting against truth, against righteousness, against God. God's people know that we are in a daily fight. Now, I know some would kind of make us... Uh, Say we're doomsday prophets, but I will tell you, any wise person knows we must be ready. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse number 4, he said that Satan is the God or the ruler or the master of this world. As such, he wants everyone in this world to worship him and to worship his principles and his goals and his ideas. He is desperately trying to prevent Jesus Christ from coming back and establishing His kingdom on earth. Because of that then, His theater of operations not only is accusing us in heaven, but He works nonstop on earth. He uses His demonic fiends, 
these little imps called demons, angels that are fallen. In such, he controls the world systems. He controls the world systems of false religion. He controls the world systems of government, of education. You name it, the devil is the god of this world. He has one simple directive. Eliminate anybody who works for God. Anybody who loves God, anybody who honors God, but especially two groups. The Jewish people and Christians. If you name the name of Christ, and if you are a Jewish person, God says that you basically have a target on your back. The devil is out to get you. Now, I'm not trying to scare us. I'm just trying to awaken us here. That the devil will do anything, if he could, to kill us all. He works tirelessly, even though he reads the Scripture, and even though he believes it, he never gives up or in. But suddenly, we do. We let our armor get in disrepair, our sword of the Spirit gets all dull. But not the evil one. He is ramping up. He believes Scripture. James chapter 2 and verse number 9 says that the devil and his demons believe. In fact, they believe Scripture more than some people I know. They believe and they even tremble. They are affected by the power and the truth of Scripture. Sometimes we'll read Scripture and not even let it affect us. Frankly, the devil is more of a believer than I can say for the liberal seminary professor over here in San Francisco who says the Bible is not the Word of God. Now the devil knows he's headed for the lake of fire. He is not going to take it lying down. For 6,000 years, he has been fighting, and he will continue to fight. But this war is going to reach a climax. In this period known as the tribulation period. The tribulation period is just that. Uh, we kind of have aptly named it that, although the Scripture refers to it as that. Sometimes in a general sense, a time of tribulation. Sometimes a noun in that it is the tribulation. Daniel chapter 9 speaks of it, Matthew chapter 24. And so throughout Scripture, the book speaks of a time known as the tribulation. It is seven years, of which the first three and a half are terrible, but the last three and a half are the great tribulation. What precipitates that change? When Satan comes to earth, when he is cast out of heaven and thrown to earth. And here we pick it up now this morning. Two critical facts about Satan being tossed to this earth. Number one, a coming war in heaven. If you're keeping your notes there, and I hope you are, by the way, you can do that online and it keeps a record of it. You can even email it to yourself. Pastor Luke mentioned about having a little journal. Well, you can even write things there and have it ongoing for you. Verse number seven. Let's read it together. Revelation 12, verse seven. Let's read it out loud. All right, ready, begin. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels. First of all, we see the seat of this war. It is a war in heaven. The seat of this war. It is a war in heaven. Now you may remember last week we went over the first six verses of the book of Revelation chapter 12. In there, we found three important characters portrayed by symbols, not ghoulish Hollywood-style 
creatures. They were literal people during the tribulation period, but they're described in this very uh, elaborate uh, sort of pictorial way. First of all, we have the woman clothed with the moon, sun, or excuse me, clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, her head crowned with 12 stars. Very clearly, she was a picture of Israel. And she is protected by God, we found, perhaps going to Petra. But there, uh, the woman, Israel, is protected. The second personage there in the first part is the dragon, a great, scary, red dragon. The Bible talks about it. Well, it's the picture of blood and death. Seven heads, ten horns, meaning complete ruling authority. Seven is a symbol of completeness. Ten is often used for uh, the authority and power of uh, nations. She, uh, the dragon, is none other but Satan himself. So we have Israel, then we have Satan, the great dragon. He's pictured as a serpent in other places and other names, but a scary, wicked dragon. And then the third one is the male child. The male child is, in fact, Jesus Christ, of course, born of the woman who is Israel, the Messiah. Our Savior is a Jewish Messiah. And uh, so they converted us. <laughs> they proselytized us. And I'm glad they did. Hallelujah. Satan has been trying to destroy Israel. He has been trying to destroy the church, and he's been trying to destroy all good since the beginning. In fact, we're told in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that the whole world lieth in wickedness. The whole earth or world, there is the word cosmos, meaning everything that there is really is in the lap of Satan. You name it, folks. You say, why is, it, why is the media so wicked? Well... It lies in the wickedness. It lies in the lap of Satan. Why is the government so... Why is there so much wickedness going on? Well, it lies in the lap of wickedness. That's, it makes no difference. Uh, education, it's, that's the way it is. It is lying in the lap of the Lord. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says that the Satan is constantly busy. Every little gospel seed that some good person plants... The devil, like an old crow, like a fowl, comes along and plucks that seed. And we see it so often, how that you get a good start in somebody, and then the devil comes along and just destroys that faith. And so we see the seat of the war is in the heavenlies. Number two, we see the sides of this war. Verse number seven, and there was a war in heaven. Now the sides, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So the sides have been picked. The question we ask uh, in our mind is, what happened in the universe that triggered this divide of opponents that are set up in array? What ramps up this? Well, we are not told what ramps it up, but we might suggest that the event that initiated this Star Wars is the rapture of the church. What is the rapture of the church? It is the taking away of every person who is saved and living, saved and passed away, or those that are saved and are living at the time of the rapture of Jesus Christ. 
of the church. It is our celestial groom who is going to come and snatch the Lord, the church away. And then begins our Lord as a righteous judge begins meeting out a just sentencing on a wicked earth. All of that is described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. The church then passes through the earth's atmosphere. It goes through the space. And then in the twinkling of an eye, it is there, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, likely then, when these bodies have been resurrected and they pass through this atmosphere, likely then that arouses Satan and all of his demons. I mean, folks, bodies flying through his airspace without permission, not good. Illegal, he says. I won't put up with it. You know how these administrations are. Besides, don't you know that the FFA requires that all people flying must wear masks? And not one of those people were wearing masks. They're going to go right through there. And that's where they get going. Well, the fact of the matter is, if it is the rapture that triggers this extraterrestrial war, it won't be the first time. And here we find a reference to Michael. Michael, why is he fighting? Well, uh, in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel chapter 10 and verse number 12, We find the story of an aged prophet who is fasting and praying. He had a burden on his spirit. He wanted to know what was ahead for his nation. And really, God used it to give us an idea of what's ahead for all of us. When in this time, God gives him a, uh, a biography of what had just happened. For three weeks, Daniel had been praying. He wasn't used to taking so long, apparently, to get an answer to prayer. And so he was wondering, why in the world has it taken so long to get this answer? And so God gives him a heads up. Look at verse 12. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard. And I am come for your words. By the way, a great prayer principle here. The first time we pray, God hears us. But it may take a while before the answer gets to us. It doesn't mean God didn't hear us. Here, God said, I heard you, Daniel, and I sent the request to your way. But, notice, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia, some entity associated with this earthly king of Persia, withstood me. Clearly, he says it wasn't the king of Persia or the prince of Persia. It was one who was associated with them, withstood me one in 20 days, that's the old English for just 21, three weeks, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, meaning one of those super angels, one of those archangels, Michael is always associated with victory and with warfare, not like Gabriel, who was the announcing angel. He came to help me, hallelujah, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. The fact was, this super angel, Michael, he brought forth victory and an answer to prayer. This was just a little tip-off of what happens in the heavenlies every day. Folks, Satan, the point is, Satan is doing everything he can to halt and stop 
God's people and God's ways and God's kingdom. But thank God he won't win because God has much more resources, including these super angels like Michael. The seat of this war is heaven. The sides of the war are the devil and his imps. But thank God we have the captain Jesus and we got Michael and a whole lot of others. Now the success of this war is found in verse number 8. And they prevailed not. Hallelujah. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Michael and his holy angels win the decisive battle. Thank God we always win somehow, some way. That's what the beloved John said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Always remember, if indeed triggered by the rapture, the end result here is that Satan is catapulted from the heaven to the earth, hurtling down. That's why the tribulation is such a horrific time. Because now all the demons that have been in the heavenlies are now focused on earth. All the principalities, all the spiritual wickedness, every demon, every evil power of the universe and the galaxies and more, no longer have they any access to heaven, but like a hypersonic missile, they have been aimed at earth. You talk about Star Wars. Now we have Earth Wars. So now let's go to point number two, a coming war on earth. So now we've seen the heavenly war. Now let's look at this earthly war. Now, when we use the word war, frankly, as bad as that war is, it is insufficient to describe the scene we're about to see. Verse 9. Let's uh, read verse 9 together. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Notice now he is again called the great dragon, because he is so formidable. Back in verse number 3 of this chapter, we saw that he has seven heads and ten horns. Seven heads, meaning brainy, a head, a complete, a very smart. The devil's very smart. Ten horns. Horns are an animal's uh, protection and an animal's authority. And so he is cast out of heaven. He comes to earth and he does three specific things. Notice in this verse. The three deeds of the devil. Number one, he is an accuser. That's what the very word devil means. Diablos. Yet in spite of all of his accusations, however true they might be, and frankly, when the devil accuses me to the God, he doesn't lie. He tells the truth. But no matter that, the fact is, I am thankful that God will never change his mind about me. When he saved me, he saved me knowing what he would get. All-knowing what he would get. That's why in Romans 5, verse 8, I love it. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that verse doesn't say, while I was a good person, he saved me. No, he saved me while I was a sinner. And so if I sin again, he says, I know that. (laughs) I saved you knowing that you had sinned. And frankly, I saved you even knowing that you would sin again. And so it doesn't make any difference what the devil tells me about you. I got you covered. Thank God that the deeds of the devil go no, he doesn't go anywhere with the Lord. He's an accuser. Number two, he is a deceiver. It says he 
deceives the whole world. Throughout all of human history, he has duped every nation and every people group. He turns truth into something extreme, fringe. He turns truth into something that is considered unloving. Consider what the prophet Isaiah stated. He said, you'll know you're in bad days. You'll know you're in the last days when Satan is turning things that are good into things that are evil. Look how he says it. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 20. He says, woe. These days are full of woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Folks, that is exactly what we are seeing in today in America, for that matter, the world. For example, some states, demonically inspired leaders, corrupt politicians, are doing things like the leaders of Maryland are now doing. These leaders are considering and planning to amend the Constitution of the state to enshrine a woman's right to abort their child. Their feeling is that because the Supreme Court is likely to overturn Roe versus Wade, and because of their anti-choice bent, then we've got to do something. And so they are going to say it is now an inalienable right for a person to kill an innocent child. Can you believe you talk about calling something evil good? And the Bible says that kind of concept is going to grow exponentially during this time as millions of imps duped the world during this time of the tribulation. In fact, Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse number 2, He said, let me tell you how crazy it's going to get during this time. He said, there's a time coming. There's a time coming that a person will kill you and will think that he's done God a service. Folks, governments, business, education, and in this verse, doing God a service, even religion are going to join together that to say that the best thing for society is to take anybody who believes in Jesus, anybody who follows the Bible, and the least that we should do is put them into a re-education camp. And if that doesn't work, we've got to kill them. That's the best thing we can do for society. Jesus said there's going to come a day where they think they'll be doing God and mankind a benefit by killing you. You're a follower of Christ. Folks, that is exactly how Satan gets the whole world to attack Israel. It's a battle called Armageddon. It's in the valley of Megiddo. How does he do that? Well, Revelation chapter 18, verse 23 says it this way. The nations are deceived by his sorcery. By the way, that word sorcery is a word for drug abuse. No wonder uh, it's, of course, meaning the mind gets... Uh, you know, uh, all crazy, but it's the, the root word is actually from the word for pharmacy. God is, or the devil is going to use, I'm convinced he uses drugs. He's going to use out the drug of alcohol and the drug of marijuana and the drug, all kinds of drugs to get people to attack Israel and to kill anything, anybody good. He's an accuser. He's a deceiver. Thirdly, he's a tormentor. It says his angels. By the way, that's a 
word angels meaning these are fallen angels, these are wicked angels, demons, were cast out with him. They are cast down. What is their goal? Their goal is to hurt. Their goal is to torment. That's what they live for. Demons don't play sports or watch TV. They live to create havoc. Just to give you an idea of how many demons will be active on the earth at that time. Now, folks, it's bad now. Imagine when they're out of heaven, the millions, billions of demons that are in the heavenlies. Imagine when they're all on earth, all at the same time, all with one goal, destroy Israel, destroy every Christian. That's what they're going to do. That's their plan. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus was visiting a place known as the Gergesenes, an area there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He came to a man that was demon-possessed. There he spoke to that man, actually spoke to the demon within the man, and the demon used the man's voice, and Jesus said, What is your name? He, of course, as God knew his name, but in his flesh he was getting the demon to pronounce it. The demon said, My name is Legion. Why? And he explained why his name was Legion, because we are many. What is a legion? In the Roman army, a legion was at least 5,000 persons. Many times more than that, but at least 5,000. So 5,000 demons had entered this man. They're spirit beings, so they can all fit into one body. They fit into this one man, 5,000 demons in one person. Imagine then the billions of people on this earth. If that man had 5,000. Some other might have 1,000. Some other might have even more. Then, folks, there are going to be billions, trillions, zillions of demons on this earth. No wonder Jesus said, if it were possible for saved people to be lost, it would happen during the tribulation period. Thank God it's not possible for those who actually get born again during that time. Well, folks, you add to that all the Demons that have been in the bottomless pit. You remember uh, when we went through chapter 9 and the bottomless pit is open and uh, smoke billows up out of that pit. Clouds of locust-type demons come and the Bible says they're given the opportunity to sting and torment the people. Four mighty angels bound at the great river Euphrates. We're told that they release at least 200 million of these demons. Folks, think about it. I mean... It is going to be, if you think it's bad now, folks, thank God that we will not have to be here during that time. But, oh, my heart uh, grieves for the people who just determined not to uh, do anything about that now and receive Jesus. But for those who are during that time, they get saved during the tribulation period. They're born again people. They're hoping for the return of Christ. God said, hang in there. And he gives them a threefold formula for guaranteed victory found in verse number 10. Let's read verse 10 together. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And so these uh, demons are cast out to earth and these, uh, notice, uh, they begin, there's a loud noise in heaven. Who is this loud noise in heaven? 
Well, we would, uh, it could be the angels, they can get kind of loud, but notice what it says. It says uh, they are uh, praising God because the accuser of the brethren is cast down. So apparently these are believers who are rejoicing in heaven. They're so excited about what God is doing. And notice they give uh, four aspects of Christ's victory. We're going to get to the three things we can do in just a moment, verse number 11. But look at the four aspects of Christ's victory. First of all, they are praising God for salvation. Now has come salvation. Finally, full, glorious salvation. When you get saved, do you realize that there are three tenses to salvation? We have been saved in the fact that all of our sins are gone. We are being saved in the fact that there is a present growth. And we shall be saved in the fact that, thank God, our salvation is eternal in the future. So the first thing they thank God for is salvation through Christ. The second thing is strength. Now has come salvation and strength. Finally, strength is here. If God wasn't able to cast out the devil, how could we ever resist the devil? Thank God we can, and he'll flee. Not only is it salvation and strength, but notice sovereignty and the kingdom of our God. Here, hallelujah, the truth that finally goodwill and peace towards men can finally happen because God, King Jesus, his will is finally done on earth. And then, fourthly, they thank God for the supremacy of Christ and the power of Christ. Hallelujah! The prophet said in the Old Testament, he said, When you see these days, step back, because God is about ready to show His strength. Isaiah 52 and verse number 10, The Lord hath made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I believe that's right now. I believe Isaiah was looking ahead a few years to when they were going to go back to Jerusalem, but he was looking ahead thousand, two thousand, whatever thousand years in the future when God was going to make bare his mighty arm. He was going to flex his muscle and just put the devil down. The next step for Satan, the lake of fire. Now, notice the threefold formula for victory during this period in verse number 11. First of all, the conquering blood. Hallelujah, the conquering blood. The scene moves out of heaven to the joy on earth, and they overcame him. Who? They. Tribulation saints, and whether they be Jewish or Gentile, people who trust Jesus, and they overcame him. They won the victory. How? By the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. They won the victory because, hallelujah, they were 100% guaranteed they were saved. You know, when you've got a person who's truly saved, like nothing can affect them. Like, I mean, what are you going to do, kill me? I go to heaven. I mean, the blood of Jesus washed my sin. I will eat wash every sin I've ever done and every sin I ever do. In fact, that's why the New Testament writer of Hebrews, Paul perhaps, said in chapter 7 and verse 25, Wherefore, He is able to save them to the uttermost who come to God by Him. Aren't you glad we're saved to the uttermost? I'm glad I'm not saved to just a little bit, but to the uttermost. Like one country preacher said, Hallelujah, I'm saved from the guttermost to the uttermost. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
seeing he ever lived to make every intercession for thee. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. Jesus won victory on the cross through his shed blood. And when the devil comes to us and when he comes to Jesus, Jesus said, just talk to the hands. Talk to the hands. The blood of Jesus flowing from his hands. You're not going to get anywhere because God has made bare his holy arm. When he stretched out his arms on the cross, our God made bare his holy arms and he won the victory through the blood of Jesus Christ. And folks, I want to tell you that blood just keeps cleansing. That's why the John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, he said, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse us from all sin. Aren't you glad that little tense of that word isn't cleansed? It's cleanseth. God said He cleanses and 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 He cleanses. I am clean today. I am positionally clean with the Lord because of His precious blood. Pleading the blood means getting born again truly and thoroughly uttermost saved by the blood of Jesus. The formula for victory is the conquering blood. Number two, the confessing believer. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They were faithful, absolutely unashamed and devoted to Christ. In a world engulfed by demonic evil, allurement and vice and sin, they were faithful no matter what. Their testimony was clear. I am standing for Jesus. I am unashamed of my faith in Christ. How is your witness today? Do people hear your vocabulary and wonder how you could call yourself a Christian? Do people observe your attitude and wonder how you could call yourself a follower of Christ? Do people look at your social media posts and wonder how in the world can you call yourself a Christian? Do people watch your ethics at work and wonder how you could call yourself a Christian? The thing that characterizes these people during the tribulation period is their Public testimony is as clear as their heart. They are absolutely unashamed of Jesus. Their testimony is clear. Not only the conquering blood and the confessing believer, but number three, the courageous battle. They love not their lives unto the death. How do they overcome? Because, frankly, they really don't care whether they live or die. They do not care whether they live or die. It makes no difference. I'm going to serve Jesus living, or I may serve Him in death, but I'm going to serve Him. In fact, I'm more than willing to die. If it's for Jesus, it doesn't make any difference. It's the fear of death that is creating so much havoc in the church of Jesus Christ. It is the fear of death that makes people walk away from Jesus Christ. And during this period, they're going to come to a point where they're going to say, you know what? You're going to kill me, or I'm going to live for Jesus. But either way, I'm not going to take the mark of the beast. I'm not doing it. I am not doing it. Like this psalmist said in Psalm 46, We will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Folks, there is coming a day when there's going to be a bloodbath, an absolute bloodbath in Israel. In fact, it's going to be so incredible. The blood is going to run down the streets, Scripture says. For this rejoicing, we can rejoice in that God is getting the victory. Look at verse 12. Two things in this verse. First of all, a rejoicing. Therefore, rejoice, ye heavens, 
and he that dwell in them. We ought to rejoice. Happy not just because Satan is cast down, but finally he is defeated in heaven as well as the earth. It is so grieving, I think, to anybody with any morals to see our country slip into a moral abyss. We can rejoice. There is a day coming when righteousness will prevail. And the Bible gives this wonderful description of the millennial kingdom when uh, that lion lays down right next to a lamb and all the sin and the craziness be gone. A rejoicing. Great day is coming. But a warning also in this verse. Notice what it says. Warning. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he hath but a short time. A warning. Woe to this earth when the devil hits this earth. If you think it's bad now, you just wait. When the devil comes to this earth and hits in great wrath, the Bible says, because he has but a short time. The word wrath there is the Greek word thumos. It is the word for rage or uh, emotional fury. It is his last kick. It is his last ditch effort to try to destroy God and God's people. That's why Jesus said during this time that there's never been a time in history like it. In fact, he said, if God doesn't shorten the days, everybody, including the elect, would not make it. Thank God we don't have to be a part of that time. Because, and why does the devil do this? Because he knows he has but a short time. A short time because of that, it's an all-out attack. Now, we see the signs of the times. And so many people see Satan working. They don't seem to even care. Almost oblivious to what's going on. Whether there's even a Satan or it's even real. The New York Times repeated, excuse me, reported in a unique study recently about the diminishing belief in the devil. Interesting that the New York Times have run that. But a diminishing belief in the devil among American people. Over two-thirds of Americans do not believe in the devil as a real entity, a real living person. In randomly selected survey, over 1,000 Americans were asked by pollsters, is Satan a living being or a symbol of evil? Over two-thirds say it's just a symbol. It's not real. Folks, I will tell you one thing. 200 million Americans agreeing the fact that he's not real. I'll tell you one thing. Those same people here during the tribulation period, 100% of them will, re- will agree Satan is absolutely real. Folks, he is real. He's not a symbol of evil. He is evil. He is evil in this world. And that's why with our short time we have left, we ought to apply our hearts to wisdom. Author Eugene Peterson wrote about visiting, and I, with this I close, visiting a monastery On the way to the hall for lunch, he and his friend, the monks there, were walking past a graveyard. There, there was an open grave. An open grave as they walked past. He asked one of the monks of the community who among them had died recently. And they said, oh, nobody. That's just for the next one of us who dies. 
They wanted to have a constant reminder that we're all dying. And the grave is ready for each of us. Time is shorter than you think. Let's give our hearts to serving God. Thank God that we have the victory in Christ. Thank the Lord for the blood of Jesus. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. This morning... We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.